He asked them, What are you arguing arguing about with them? Someone in the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It is awesome cast him into the fire and to the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. And from 14th chapter of Mark, Jesus praying in Gethsemane. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found, him, found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could not you keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. You want to get away? I think Southwest Airlines said that. You know, Pastor John's away right now on a little vacation. 
Facebook I saw this morning, he was going to the Warsaw First United Methodist Church. So he's up by Truman Lake somewhere right now. But he'll be back Tuesday. We like to get away. Where to? Different town, to a mountain, to a lake, to a river. You know, Jesus liked to get away, just like us. But he got a way to pray, and to pray intensely. And the way Jesus prayed really struck the disciples. They asked him in Luke, the first chapter, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. In the first chapter of Mark, we find Jesus getting up early and going to a solitary place to pray. In Luke 5, he says he often went to isolated places to pray. And in Mark 6, he went to a mountaintop and he prayed all night. We see this pattern where Jesus goes away to pray and spends long hours to pray over and over. Jesus needed this communication with God. He needed to replenish his spirit. But like in so many things, the disciples just don't get it. It tells in Mark how the disciples would hunt him down. They didn't want him out there praying. They wanted action. They'd come from Capernaum the day before. And he'd healed so many people in Capernaum. And all this time in prayer is just getting in the way. They wanted action. And they were surprised by his need for seclusion and prayer. They were also surprised by his power over illness and, and demons. And they hadn't figured out that the two things were linked together. They wanted him out there healing. Things were going great. Thousands are coming to see him. The disciples really love how things are going in their life right now. But Jesus didn't want this glory or this attention. He had a mission to further God's kingdom. He needed to stay focused on that mission, not the attention he was receiving. And this prayer kept him focused. Jesus even tells the disciples in Mark 6, 6 that they need to get away to a quiet place. And in Mark 9... We have the story of Jesus going up on the mountain to pray. And while he's praying there, the transfiguration takes place. And then the story when he comes down from the mountain. Our scripture this morning tells the story about where the disciples have failed to cast out a demon. A father's brought a young boy to them actually wanting to see Jesus. Jesus is gone. But the disciples decide they can cast out the demon themselves. But they fail. Jesus finds the disciples arguing among themselves and with the scribes. It's kind of like a baseball team that has a losing season and they start fighting among themselves. Well, first thing is Jesus takes care of business and he heals the young boy. And later the disciples are asking him, how come we couldn't drive out the demon? And Jesus answers, this kind can only come out by prayer. You think he's accusing them of anything? 
The implication is the disciples had not prayed. But think about the story. Jesus didn't pray right before he drove out the demon. He simply tells the demon to leave. It's not like he had some magical prayer that would drive out the demon like something you'd see in Harry Potter. No, he didn't need the words of prayer then. Jesus showed us that the the real demons in our lives that show up, we need to have a life of prayer to drive them out. Not just a few words when we want something to happen. He's telling us that we need a lifetime of prayer to confront real evil. Then let's think about the second scripture. The last night that Jesus prayed here on earth. There he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd been there before in the Mount of Olives, which is the hill right up above it. But it wasn't just any time. This is special. Now, Gethsemane was an olive grove. In the Midwest, we really don't know what olive groves look like. A few years ago, when Carol and I got to go there, if anything, it would remind me of an apple orchard, a very pleasant place to be at any other time. Here's he and the disciples. They've come down from the upper room. They've walked across the valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he decides to take Peter, James, and John with him a little further into the olive grove. He takes them to a large rock, which is basically a barren spot where no tree would grow. This rock sticks out of the ground and probably is a little bigger than this altar area right here. You know, Israel's a very rocky place. They tell a legend in Israel that when, when God was making the earth, he had an angel fly over the earth with a bag of rocks, which he was supposed to disperse over the whole earth. And when he got over Israel, the bag broke. Okay. Peter, James, and John are with him. It's not a coincidence that he takes these three. It's the same three that were with him on the mountain during the transfiguration. He has to warn his disciples that he knows all three of them are going to flee from him. Of course, this is when Peter thinks he knows better, as Peter always does. Oh, no, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus has to tell him it's not going to be just once. It's going to be three times before the rooster crows. There's another reason he brought James and John with him. It wasn't just a few hours earlier when they're in the upper room when they ask him, Jesus, when you come into your glory, can you put one of us on your left hand and one on your right hand? They want to be the power brokers in this organization. So Jesus takes the three with him and he says to them, watch and pray with me. Watch and pray with me. Then Mark describes Jesus going a little further and being terribly distressed. In verse 34, he says, I am deeply grieved, even on to the death. And Mark describes how Jesus lays down on the stone, face down in anguish, waiting for his time to come. 
I've heard this moment described as it's like a jet reaching the sound barrier. There's so many forces on that jet at that time. Think about the forces that were on Jesus at this time. Jesus is closer to the will of God than ever before. And he's also got the forces on him as a man who's not wanting to have to suffer a terrible death. Terrible distress he has to be under. Think about what the psalmist wrote in the 55th Psalm. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. The problem is, Jesus can't go back to his shelter. He's not going to go to a desert. He's going to have to face this hour. But he faces it in prayer. Think about what's going on. He still is facing this, what he knows is agony and this suffering. And there's no rest for him, except for the disciples who keep falling asleep. He's waiting. That terrible time of waiting. You know what it's like to wait for the doctor to come in and tell you the results. Waiting is terrible. He's waiting. Knowing about the terrible pain that he's going to endure. He's waiting what might be even worse. He knows that he's going to be abandoned by his disciples and his followers. And think about this. At this time, he's got the sins of the world upon him. And he prays intently. He's face down in prayer, but he can stand up and he can face the temple SWAT team that's coming to arrest him. He can stand up, he can face the priests who are going to accuse him. He can stand up and face Pontius Pilate, who's going to condemn him to death. By being, being face down in prayer, he's able to endure the power that's going to engulf him on the cross. We can learn from these examples of Jesus praying that it's really a lifestyle of praying. And we can learn from the disciples because they had not developed this lifestyle of prayer yet. Think back to the earlier story in Mark. Here's the disciples who have been able to heal some of the sick, cast out some of the demons, and suddenly they're faced with something larger and tougher than anything they've ever had to deal with when the man brings his young boy to him. And they're asking Jesus, what's wrong with our technique in driving out the demons? They thought that when they were confronting a demon, they were dealing with something under their control. But when they fail, they are publicly disgraced. And then they get in an argument with the scribes. They should have realized that the gifts that they had for healing were gifts they received from God every day that they were in prayer. Think about their question for Jesus. Why couldn't we drive out the demon? 
In their mind, it's all about what they were doing, not what God was doing for them. Think about when Jesus drives out the demon. He speaks no prayers, just a command. The life of prayer is what it took so Jesus could use the gifts that God had bestowed upon him to confront this evil. We can also learn from the disciples in Gethsemane, where Jesus is engaged in this intense prayer. And what are the disciples doing? They're not praying, they're sleeping. Jesus asked them to watch and pray with me. And through Jesus comes back three times, what are they doing? Sleeping. He says, watch and pray. And three times they fall asleep. Here's what happens when you don't pray. The last time Jesus is on the Mount of Olives in Mark 13, he says, Therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster curls or at dawn. If he suddenly comes, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And I assume after what happened in Gethsemane, when he says watch, he meant there better be some praying involved with that. When the disciples watch, fail to watch and pray, they fall apart. When the temple guard shows up with Judas Yeah, there's that little skirmish where Peter draws the sword and cuts off the guard's ear. There's a story about the one disciple that he was trying to get away and they grabbed his robe and it came off and he ran away naked. We know that Peter denies Jesus three times by the time the rooster crows. Instead of watching and praying, they slept. The spirit might have been strong, but the flesh was definitely weak. They needed prayer. We can learn from this. Our lives are so busy, and there's so many demands for action. And we value action more than we value the quietness of prayer and study. We think of the time for prayer and study as as optional, something that we might do if we can work it in. We're convinced that we're too busy for prayer, and if we're able to work it in, it's, it's definitely a luxury like going to the spa or going fishing. The danger is we treat prayer like something that we really don't need. And we lose our focus. We lose our focus on God. We lose our mooring. We're going to be swept away in that rough sea whenever a storm of life shows up like it always does. But how often do we wait till we're in the the middle of the storm and we think, maybe this is the time to pray? I always, when I think about that, I always think of the movie Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan up on top of the mast and the storm's blowing and he's arguing with God. We We use prayer like a spare tire. You know, we only get out when we have a flat. Have you put a spare tire on lately? There's these little donut tires. They're only good for 45 miles an hour and 50 miles or something like that. They don't take you very far. Sometimes that quick prayer in the time of trouble is is like a donut tire. It's not really good for the long haul. 
You know, in manufacturing, the term just-in-time is used a lot. If you're making a product, you don't want the parts or the ingredients to show up until just-in-time, when you need them. And we want to treat prayer the same way. We think we don't need it until just-in-time. But we learn from Jesus and the disciples that it is something that we need to continually do. Paul talks a little bit about continually praying. In Colossus 4, he writes, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I think he learned that wrestling in prayer from Paul. We learn from Paul and Jesus that prayer is not a luxury that we do when we have a little extra time or something we do when things are turning bad when we might have to turn to God. The famous author and theologian C.S. Lewis, who wrote the, the Chronicles of Narnia, he once wrote to a friend, and I'll paraphrase, I really need your prayers right now because everything's going really, really well. It's easy to forget prayer when things are going really, really well. Someone once wrote that a Christian needs 30 minutes a day in prayer. Martin Luther said that he was so busy that if he did not pray three hours a day, he couldn't get through the day. Jesus shows us that throughout his ministry, there are times when he prays all night long. Now think about it. He was the son of God, and somehow we think we need less prayer than him. Some of us do feel especially close to God when we're experiencing nature. So some of us want that true mountaintop experience to feel close to God. But the reality is we can't always be on a mountaintop. We can't always be by the beautiful beach. But we still need that lifetime of prayer. That means we don't have to get away. Sometimes that means simply that when we're driving the car, we turn the radio off. Sometimes that means we just put down our phone. Maybe that means when we're doing some simple task, we can open up our lives to prayer. It's also going to be those times in our lives we're going to, we're going to want to be face down in prayer like Jesus. And Jesus said, watch and pray. Because all of us are going to face those times in our lives when we least expect it. And to be prepared is to be prepared as Jesus in a lifetime and a lifestyle of prayer with God. Amen.